While you're taking your seat, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, if you will. Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to look at the larger context of this, but I want right now for you to zero in on verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5. Because this is the the premise upon which uh, I build this message on this Pentecost Sunday. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, said this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, for a few moments this morning... I want us to focus on what I believe is a much neglected teaching from God's Word regarding the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. For many of us, I believe that the Holy Spirit is an unknown friend, an untapped resource. We have the Spirit in us, for it is the Spirit who comes to dwell in us at the moment of our salvation. But I believe that in in many uh, situations in our lives, we have the Spirit, but we fail to experience the joy of being filled with the Spirit, as Paul says here in Ephesians 5 and 18. Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Someone once said that if the Holy Spirit were suddenly removed from the earth, that 98% of all we do would continue unaffected by His absence. Those are convicting words. And it's interesting to me to observe that today in our 21st century, that as never before, today in the history of of our world, that we have better equipment, we have better technology, we, we have more opportunities to evangelize the world than ever before in the history of man. Never before has there been better trained personnel employed in ministry But the tragedy remains that we see little power as the gospel is being taken out into the the corners of the earth. We see little fruit, little results in our efforts of spreading the message of Jesus Christ. And the question that comes to me this morning is, could it be that something is missing in our lives? Could it be that the fullness of God's Spirit and power is missing in many a Christian believer, and that if the Spirit of God would come and fill us, me and you, in all of His power, that it would make a difference. I believe it would make a difference. I believe it would cause us, as the Christian community that stretches around this globe, it would cause us to turn the world upside down if every person just in this room, forget everybody outside these walls for a moment, if every person just in this room would get serious about being filled with the Spirit of God, I believe that we could turn upside down Mill Creek and Erie and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and that as revival fires began to burn in this place, that it would begin to spread like rapid fire across this nation and throughout this world. Do you believe that? My concern is that we say, yes, we believe it, but we're not ready to to pay the price to be filled with the Spirit. You see, I want to say to you this morning that God's plan is 
that every believer is spirit-filled. Every believer. It is binding upon all of us who call our names followers of Jesus Christ. There are no exceptions. It is the normal way to live. It should be. For the Christian to be filled with the Spirit of God. Except I, and I knew I'd get an amen from Jim McDonald on that one. My concern is that being filled with the Spirit of God, though, in the Christian community has become abnormal. It is the rare exception today. It is the rare Christian that you meet today that is filled with God's Spirit. Oh, you have the Spirit of God. You've been sealed by the Spirit of God at your salvation. But you aren't full of the Spirit. God's plan is that every one of us should be filled with the Spirit of God. So my question this morning as we launch into this message is, are you, I'm not talking about the person beside you, in front of you, behind you, I'm talking about you. And I'm asking it rhetorically. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? And if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, my prayer this morning is that the Spirit of God will be so much at work in your heart this morning kind of pulling and tugging at you, that there will be a desire placed within you to find the means by which you can be filled with the Spirit of God. So that you can be, as Watchman Nee says, part of the normal Christian life. To be a normal Christian, full of the Spirit of God. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this morning, I'd like us to take a look at several things that the Bible has to say about being filled with the Spirit. But I want to begin by looking, first of all, at his instructions here in chapter 5 and 18. And I believe that a definition of being filled with the Spirit is in order. And so the the definition is found here in the 18th verse of chapter 5. And I want to talk to you for a moment about the character, the character of the Spirit Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, the definition, the idea as far as the definition is concerned, is that the filling, listen to me, the filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with influence, control. If you're looking for a definition of what does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit, simply this, being filled by the Holy Spirit means that I come under the control, I come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now let's, let's suppose for a moment, and I know that this would not apply to any of you, you're good, upstanding, moral people, but let's suppose that last night you went down to one of the corner bars and got tanked up. And you decided after uh, having... A, a lovely night of, of uh, fellowship in the bar, that uh, <laughs> you decided that you'd go out to your car and unwisely get behind the wheel, <clears throat> and uh, you'd pull out, kind of swerving down the streets of Erie, heading toward your home, and all of a sudden in your rearview mirror you began to see the gumball machine on top of one of those white Mill Creek police cars. And you all of a sudden brought yourself together and you kind of check your breath because you realize what's coming. And, and uh, 
the, the policeman, the Mill Creek cops, comes up to you and it's obvious by your countenance and your bleary eyes and by your, your slurred speech that you are, <clears throat> what do the legal people say? You are driving under the, the influence. You will most likely be given a citation, a DUI, driving under the influence, under the influence of alcohol. Well, that's the illustration that Paul gives here. He says, Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead of being under the influence of alcohol, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be under the influence of whom? The Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under the control, the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's the comparison that Paul uses here. A comparison to drunkenness. He says someone who has too much wine to drink is drunk and is controlled by the Holy Spirit and thus behaves in a way that is unnatural to her or to him and it's not the way she should normally behave. And so Paul says, don't you go that way. As a follower of Jesus Christ, don't go that way. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, instead of being under the influence, under the control of wine and alcohol, you should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, though, millions of Christians today are failing to enjoy the Spirit-filled life, the unlimited resources of God in their life, because they aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. They're sealed by the Spirit. They're, the Spirit of God is dwelling in them. As Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You see, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you at the moment of your salvation. You understand that, don't you? If you understand that concept, will you just kind of nod your head? Okay, so I know you're not going off to sleep. You understand. Yes, the Spirit of God comes in me at salvation. But. Not only does the Spirit dwell in you, but God in the Spirit wants to fill you. He wants you to be under His control. He wants you to be under His influence. Now, Paul's words here are interesting, and you don't get the sense of this when you read it in the English, but if you go back to the original language into the Greek, what you discover is that Paul's words here, be filled with the Holy Spirit, are actually a command. There should be an exclamation point behind this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a suggestion. Listen to me. God is not into suggestions. This is a command. God says, you are to be filled with the Spirit of God. And if we are not filled... This is going to be convicting to me and you. But if we are not filled with the Spirit of God, we are not following God's plan. And missing out on God's plan and God's will will subject you and me to a great void and absence in our life. As Christians, if we aren't filled with the Spirit of God, we're not following God's plan. Now you say, well, Rick, what's it like? Will you please describe to me this filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, the theologian Charles Ryrie, in his book on the Holy Spirit, says that the most distinguishing feature of spirit filling is that it is a repeated experience. So, spirit filling involves the control of the Holy Spirit, but it's also a repeated experience. 
It's interesting to note that Paul's command, be filled with the Holy Spirit, actually has the idea of continuously being filled. Continuously. Ongoing. It's not just once and for all. You're not just filled once and then you're done. It's being filled and being filled again and being filled again and being filled again. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, this in a picture in my own childhood. My great-grandmother, Hubin, lived in an old, ancient farmhouse. At least it seemed ancient to me. And she didn't have a, a regular kitchen sink with a faucet and knobs on it. Instead, in my great-grandmother Huben's house, there was a stone cistern in the kitchen. It was made of some type of stone. It was always very curious to me when I went to visit my great-grandmother. And instead of a faucet, there was a pipe that came jutting out of the wall. And my grandfather, her son, explained to me that <clears throat> there was a spring up on the hill. And there was a pipe that was fed from that spring that went through my great-grandmother's kitchen wall. And the water was continually being poured out into that stone cistern. And there was always the sound of trickling water in my grandmother's kitchen. It wasn't a leaky faucet. It was a flowing spring. And that water was always flowing in and flowing out. It was always flowing in and flowing out. As the water came in, it flowed out. And there was always the sound of water. One of my... Most precious memories of going to my great-grandmother's house was stepping up on the step stool and taking the the white enameled dipper with the red rim on it. How many of you know that? You'll show your age if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And pulling it off, there wasn't even a hook. It was just an old nail that had been pounded into the wall. And pulling that old enameled dipper off of it, stepping on the step stool and dipping down into the cistern and taking a long, cold drink of that spring water. The reason I share that childhood story is because it gives a picture of what it should be like for you and me. It's not just being filled once. It's not turning on the sink and filling up the sink and that's it. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is allowing the Holy Spirit to come into you and then flow out. So that when you leave these doors this morning, you're not just going to hold the Holy Spirit in. If you don't do anything, you will leak. I want you to know that. You will leak. We are... Someone has said, we are leaky vessels. And so if you don't do anything, you'll, you'll just leak. But you should be going out of these doors. In fact, this is your mission field out here. Uh, you know, out on the streets of Mill Creek and Erie and, and McCain and Edinburgh and, and Fairview and Waterford. That's your mission field. And when you go out there, you take the Holy Spirit with you. And as you are being filled this morning, you take the Holy Spirit. And there's an outlet to that. And, and that Holy Spirit is flowing out of you. Well, if the Holy Spirit is flowing out, then you need the Holy Spirit flowing in. So you need to be filled on a repeated basis. So Paul says, this is a continuous action. You are continually being filled by the Holy Spirit. The Christian is always to be full and being filled right to the brim. Now, what are the conditions of this? Because there are certain conditions that must exist if you are going to be filled by God's Spirit. What are the conditions? Well, the first involves dedication. Dedication. Look at uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 with me. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Read the rest with me. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, what's the command in that? The first command is to offer. Offer. Dedicate. Make yourself an offering to God. Spirit filling, listen, is not an issue of how much of the Spirit of God we have. Spirit filling is how much does the Spirit own of us. Let me say that again because it's important you grasp that. Spirit filling is not about how much of the Spirit do we have. Rather, Spirit filling has to do with how much of us does God have. How much of you does God have? You see, if I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the first condition is this, that I must dedicate myself to God. I must offer myself to God. Now, in the same way that because filling is a continuous thing, I must be constantly dedicating myself to God. I do that every morning, and I do it repeatedly throughout the day. But every morning, at least, before I put my feet out on the floor. This morning, I woke at 3 a.m. We moved yesterday. My body is sore and tired. And my voice is starting to give out. But this morning at 3 a.m., I couldn't sleep. It was so quiet in the country. I'm not used to living in the country. The silence is actually deafening out there in Edinburgh. I laid there awake at 3 a.m. and I said to the Lord, Lord, I offer myself to you again today. I place myself at your full disposal. Use me however you will. I don't put any restrictions or barriers on it. Use me however you will. And in just a few moments of prayer there in my bed in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, I offered myself to God again. And I'll do that tomorrow morning, too. Hopefully not at 3 a.m. I'll get used to the silence sooner or later. But, friends, that's the first condition. If you want to be filled by the Holy Spirit, you need to offer yourself to God. Say, Lord, here I am. I lay it all out before you. I give my whole life to you. Body, soul, and spirit. All that I am, all that I ever hope to be, I'm giving it all to you. In effect, you need to say, Lord, I am yours. Use me in whatever way you want to use me. I'm not going to put any limitations on you. I'm not putting any if clause in this agreement. I'm just saying, Lord, I'm laying myself out there. Use me however you want to use me. Now, Christian, you will never, listen, you will never be filled with the Holy Spirit unless you first dedicate yourself that way to God. You must dedicate yourself to God. Then Paul continues in verse 2 with the second aspect of this dedicatory act. He says in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the first thing you do is dedicate yourself to God. The second thing you do is separate yourself from the world. So, get the picture. First, dedicate myself to God. Secondly, I separate myself from the world. Well, how do you do that? Because the world is all around us. Dedication occurs when we present ourselves to the Lord for for use and under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But it also involves a separation from the world. And that's an idea that is pretty foreign in our world today. 
Now, I think most of us, though, have uh, an idea and we don't even realize it. Most furniture today is not solid wood. I do believe that the ends of your pews are solid wood. I think they are, but I may be wrong. But most of you probably have furniture in your home that is not solid wood. It's probably particle board or some other kind of composite material that is covered with what? It's covered with a wood veneer. It's made to look like mahogany or maple or hickory or chestnut or whatever. It may look like alder wood or something else. It just has a, a thin veneer on it. It's a veneer over just some cheap wood. Now, you would never think of taking an expensive antique, would you? Something that came from the 18th or the 17th century and taking an expensive antique table and putting a veneer on it. Would you ever think of doing that? You shouldn't because it would cause the value of that piece of furniture to go down radically. It's totally unthinkable. You wouldn't take something that is already beautiful and already valuable and cover it up with a cheap veneer. Paul is saying in verse 2, so likewise, Christian, you should not be conformed to the world. You are made beautiful by the Spirit of God. He has taken you and He's made a new creature out of you. He's taken that stony heart and He's given you a heart of flesh. His Spirit is beating in you. Now, don't put a veneer over that. Don't be putting on the veneer of the world. Dedication involves this initial presentation to God. I offer myself to God and then I separate myself from the worldly process that seeks to make us unchristian. Now, let me go from preaching to meddling for a minute. Because there's a lot of process going on in our world that seeks to make us unchristian. All you have to do is turn on your television set or put a DVD in. All you have to do is watch certain things, or read certain things, go certain places, and you will become influenced by the world's values and thinking. Now, am I talking that we should all become Amish and Mennonite and, and start to, you know, use a, a wood fire? And all? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we as followers of Christ need to be very careful not to fit, not to be squeezed into the world's pattern. I think it's becoming very, very dangerous among Christian people today because there's very little distinction between one who follows Jesus Christ and one who is a secular pagan. I think there ought to be a difference. Do you? I think there ought to be something observable about a Christian that, that says that there's something unique about that person. There's a love, there's a joy, there's a peace about that person that I'd like to have, that it's attractive. And so that comes when I decide, look, this world is not my home. I'm not going to be conformed to this world. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Alliance, said that spirit filling is dedication to God and separation from the world. This is a continual process. It's a repeated phenomenon. It's one of continual action. The next condition is this, that I must continue to live according to the Spirit of God. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8:14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, this speaks of our relationship with the Father. Being led by someone assumes a continuing relationship. It implies a fellowship. When someone is following another, there must be a trust. 
even to the point of dependency. So, as a son, a daughter of God, I must not only dedicate myself to God and separate myself from the world, but I must be committed to an ongoing relationship. As a follower of Jesus, I must be committed to walking with Him day in and day out. To walk by the Spirit, Paul calls it walking by the Spirit, is to live in this day-by-day dependency on the Spirit of God. Not depending on my own talents, not depending on my own strengths, not depending on my own intellect or my own ability to get ahead. I walk in relationship with Him. I continue to walk in the Spirit. I live according to the Spirit. Number four, the condition I must die daily to sin. I must die daily to sin. Now, there are three ways that that Jesus Christ deals with our sin. The first is crucifixion, the second is chastisement, and the third is confession. Our sins were nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross three years years ago. You can tell I woke up at 3 a.m. this morning. When he, when he was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago, our sin was nailed to the cross. We sing it from time to time in the great hymn of Francis Havergal. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Your sin was crucified on the cross of Jesus. But I want you to know that sometimes God deals with our sin through chastisement. That is discipline. Sometimes he has to take the rod of discipline like we do with our children. Sometimes the Spirit of God has to take the rod of discipline and get us back on the way. Because, again, we we go off to the right and, and off to the left. And he does that because he loves us. He loves us so much that when there's sin in our lives, God sometimes has to chastise us to take care of the sin in our life. The third way that we can deal with our sin is confession. And we can go to God and acknowledge our sin to Him. I found the section in that prayer for the world this morning very powerful on confession. I think that few of us evangelicals spend enough time in confessing our sinfulness to God. There may be pride, there may be jealousy, there may be bitterness, there may be backbiting, there may be gossip, there may be impatience, there may be un. Kindness, there may be an uncontrolled temper, there may be rage and anger. We need to confess that to God. As soon as the Spirit of God points it out to us, we need to confess it. We need to get it under the blood of Christ. In order to walk in the Spirit, there cannot be sin in your life. Be filled with the Spirit means dedicating myself to God, separating myself from the world, not being conformed to the image of the world, committing to walk daily with the Spirit, and to allow God to help us to die daily to sin. I think that last step is the hardest. To die to self and come alive to Christ. But that's exactly what has to happen. So as I offer myself to God, I need to also say, O Lord, you do whatever you have to do. Press hard. Push me against the wall today if you need to. Whatever it takes, Lord, for me to look more like Jesus, I'm giving you permission, Lord, to do that today. That is a dangerous prayer. You don't know what God may allow in your life to chastise, to bring you to a point of being made more like Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit means this daily, continuous process, dedication, separation, walking with, and confessing our sin to God. Now, quickly, finally, the consequences of spirit-filling. 
and there are many, but let me list them briefly. The consequences are these, that you have power for service. That is, that when you go out these doors in a few minutes, you will have the Spirit of God empowering you to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. You will have power for life. You know why? Because when you are being filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? Paul tells us this in Galatians chapter uh, 5. He says that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, instead of immorality and sexual lust and all these other things that are part of debauchery, instead of all of that, the Holy Spirit, when He's filling your life, is going to give you instead a bowl of fruit. That's not what He said, but He said He's going to give you fruit. And the fruit will be love, and you say them with me, and joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, gentleness, self-control. I missed one, didn't I? Three o'clock a.m., remember that. Now, do you want any of those? I'm not convinced. Do you want any of those? Do you want peace in your life? Do you want love? It's getting weak. Do you want joy? How about kindness? Anybody need any self-control? How many need self-control? Ah. How's that going to happen? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. How will I be filled with the Spirit? I will be filled with the Spirit when I dedicate myself to God and say, Lord, I lay myself out there. No holds barred. I separate myself from sin in the world. I'm not going to allow the world to put its veneer on me. He's made me beautiful. I'm not going to be made cheap by the world's image. I'm going to die daily to sin. I'm going to, I'm going to walk with the Spirit and understand this continuous action. And I'm going to uh, die daily to sin and, and allow Christ to come alive in me. And when I follow those conditions, the consequences will be that I will be filled with the Spirit. And guess what? When you're filled this morning, you're going to need to do it later on and later on and later on and later on. And so it will be a continual process. I I probably die to self, oh, at least a thousand times today. If not a once and for all. And so there's no embarrassment for the Christian to say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. When we sang this morning, fill me, break me, mold me, use me, that should be a regular, that's the normal Christian life. But unfortunately, most of us don't experience it. And we don't have power for service, and there's no joy, and there's no peace, and there's no self-control, and there's no gentleness, and there's no kindness. And 98% of what we do would be totally unaffected if the Holy Spirit were drawn away from us. I want to be a part of the 2%. I need to be filled today. I need to be like my great-grandmother Huben's artesian well. The Spirit flowing in and the Spirit flowing out. Flowing in, flowing out, flowing in, flowing out, day by day, 
walking with the Lord, being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what it's about. And Christian, you need it as much as I need it. So I finish this morning with the same question I began with. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And if not, why not? So as we close this service today, I want to invite you to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now and, and to pray with me. And if you're in this room this morning and you're a Sunday school teacher or an elder or choir singer, maybe you're just a person who sits in the pew, maybe you're a visitor today, what you need today, no matter how good you look on the outside, is the Spirit of God. You need the breath of God to fill your life, to blow on you today. There are some of you here today who are spiritually lost. Some of you have a thin veneer of godliness on you, but the Bible says you have a form of godliness, but there's no power. There's no muscle. There's, there's, there's no power, no life. And what you need today is desperately you need the wind of God's Spirit to blow on your life. Would you, as you sit there this morning and I pray and you join me in prayer, would you say, Spirit of the living God, will you fall fresh on me? Lord, I offer myself to you. I dedicate myself fully to you. I, I make a commitment not to be conformed to this world. Uh, Lord, they keep trying to squeeze me into their pattern and their value system. But Lord, I'm not going to allow them to put a cheap veneer on me. Lord, I dedicate myself to you. I commit to this daily, continuous action of walking with you in the Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that it will become second nature to me, that I won't have to think about it all the time, but your Spirit will so work in me, fill me with the Holy Spirit this morning. Friends, until you get hungry, you will not be filled. Fill me, Spirit of God. So, Spirit of God, I pray this morning... On this Pentecost Sunday, when we remember those disciples who were gathered in the upper room and how so unexpectedly the Spirit of God fell upon them and like tongues of fire, like a great and mighty rushing wind blew through that room. And as a result of it, <coughs> the church was born and the gospel began to spread and there was no holding it back. So we pray, Lord, for another Pentecost. I pray, Lord, for a Pentecost in my soul. I pray that there would be a Pentecost in the souls of everyone gathered in this room. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come in your own special way. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you stand together and let's say.